So zooming to start, I always ask everyone to uh, introduce themselves. Like give a nice little overview of your career so far and like what you do about game around games. Okay. Um, so I recently finished uh, my master's in um, computer science at the University of Washington. Uh, the field of study I did there was pretty interesting. Um, University of Washington had a program called Game Science. And while there, I worked on um, crowdsourcing games. Um, so if you think of games like Foldit, um, which utilizes players to help make scientific discoveries, what I worked on was pretty similar. So after UW and my master's, I started working at Microsoft. And I think it's been about eight months now since I started. At Microsoft, I am working on the graphics team. Um, and currently, I am working on Microsoft's default um, fallback graphics driver. Um, let's see. What's it called? Oh, it's called WARP, um, which stands for Windows Advanced Rasteriz Rasterization Platform. Yep. Um, and before graduate school, I studied at the University of Arizona, and I managed the Game Developers Club there for a year as president, and a few years at, as various different officer positions. So I also have some experience managing student game organizations. Um, in terms of game projects, um, I participate in a lot of game jams. Um, I say so as Ludum Dare is happening, but I'm not participating, so it's weird. <laughs> um, but uh, I think the most interesting project that came out of that was probably Climate Quest, which I did at a climate game jam at University of Washington. And that actually ended up um, winning first in that national competition and gave me an opportunity to go to the Smithsonian Museum to show off the game. I think I think that game actually might have kicked off the climate game jams that go on in Seattle now. Like Yeah, they had one last week. Yeah. Um I think the success of Climate Quest helped them quite a bit. Um this is me, maybe humble brag, but don't, don't take all the credit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm kidding. I, I usually, I usually am one to shy away from taking credit. Um, That's really cool, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, so it first, we can we can transition to questions now. Um, but yeah, I'll let you finish doing. Uh, no, I think that's other areas. I was just going to say that um, the climate game jam here seems to be evolving into something pretty big. So it's really cool to see that. Yeah. Uh, so if anyone has a question, you can type it in the chat, or you can unmute yourself and ask away. Otherwise, I will ask my own questions. OK. So Zuming, yes. uh, the climate game, the, the game that you made for the climate change game jam that 
got you to showcase it at the Smithsonian. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. What what did you make it in? How did you make it? Who did you work with? Okay, um, so that game is a 2D point and click game that I made in Unity. Um, so the oh, you made it in Unity. I don't know why I thought you made it in Game Maker. Uh, I guess when people think of 2D games, they often think of Game Maker. And also, I had prior Game Maker experience, but uh, at this point, Unity seems to be very customizable to the point that it's not necessarily harder to make 2D games in Unity. Um, but anyways, um, that game, the premise of that game is there are a bunch of climate change-related disasters going on in various cities inside of the United States. And you have a team of four scientists who are in different um, who are in different professions. And you have to direct the scientists whose profession fits the disaster to the city that the disasters are occurring in uh, in order to fix them before they like become really bad. Um, the whole concept is kind of a play on the classic JRPG trope where you have like four heroes all with different abilities um, who are like trying to save the world. And so to go along with that, uh, the original game and really even the current game both have like an art style that resembles like SNES JRPGs, like Final like Fantasy. Final Fantasy. Yeah, Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. And um, I think in the original prototype, we even like took music from Final Fantasy II and just played it in the background. <laughs> um, and I remember the map we took, um, the map we took from Google's Google Maps April Fool's Day prank where they had like the entire world in 8-bit. Oh, that's creative. Yeah. Way to... Creative thing to steal something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we took that for our prototype, and it worked really well. Like, it had a look that um, really calls back to, like, the old era of games. Um, and, yeah, it turned out to, like, resonate pretty well. It was a good opportunity to educate people about the types of climate disasters that could happen. And that, um, I should mention that those events are written by a actual climate science professor at University of Washington, who I worked with during the game oh, time. So you, so you worked on that with that professor. Uh, what's the name? Um, Dargan Frierson is the name. Okay. Um, he now teaches. Who else did you work with? Uh, I, I only Sorry. worked with him. Uh, okay. But he now teaches. Um, well, he teaches the introductory climate science class at Utah, um, but I think now he also teaches a climate game, like workshop, um, as well that you could take for credit. Mm. Yeah. So during the game development process, so Dragon is cool because he like he really gets excited about a lot of things. Um, basically, what I did in that game to allow him to work most productively is to um, write a event parser, a text parser, 
at the very beginning of that game jam, um, so that he could spend the rest of the game jam writing events for the game um, while I work on the mechanics and the graphics. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then how did the Smithsonian thing happen? Um, so that climate jam, um, one of the things that it offered to the winners was that uh, there is a chance to show off the game at the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History to uh, basically interested public, so people like teachers or climate activists or communicators. Um, and Climate Quest did well in that um, game jam. So it was invited along with a few other games to show off there. Um, and yeah, I, the format of the event was, yeah, I think it was, uh, it was a one night thing where they had um, a room, a custom room in the Smithsonian Museum of Natural History where they set up like seven or eight different games. And they also had keynote speakers to talk about climate change and power of games um, while people could go around and try out a bunch of different games. I think there was a separate event that um, I didn't make, but some of the other people at the game jam did make, and that's kind of having some teachers bringing their kids on a field trip uh, to the museum to play the game and give feedback. Cool. So you you got to get you got to fly out to DC where the Smithsonian is. Uh, how long was that trip? Uh, that trip was going to be three days, but. Uh, Interestingly, that was also the weekend when, like, the biggest snowstorm to, like, ever <laughs> hit the East Coast just, like, lands there. So I think I was stuck there for two or three days in, like, um, 12 inches of snow or something ridiculous like that. Um, <laughs> but it was fine. I just, like... I just like stayed in the hotel and ate hotel food and play in the snow. Basically, got three days off. Uh, I that reminds me of when I was uh, last January. Yeah, this January I was in New York for the holidays. Yeah, and I was supposed to go home, and my flight got canceled. <laughs> and it was like three days out from the original day, and I was in New York for so long that Facebook started showing me recommendations for events in New York. <laughs> and I was I was marking them as interested, like, oh, of course I want to go to this games event. And I'm like, wait, this is not in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to forget that uh, planes actually do get delayed on the East Coast. Um, on the West Coast, I've never, ever seen that be an issue. Uh, so Ian asked a question. Uh, oh, do yes. you do most of the graphics for your games? Um, it really depends on the game. Um, yeah, so what happens is before I go into designing a game, I have to take into account the 
artist resources at my disposal. And sometimes I'll have artists working with me um, in a game jam setting or in a long-term game project. But sometimes I find myself in a game jam without a dedicated artist. Um, so the game idea itself has to consider how much art asset, how much customized art asset is necessary. Um, and that shapes the game idea quite a bit. Um, it almost changes it completely. So to give an example for Climate Quest, um, I knew I wasn't going to be working with an artist. And that limitation actually um, led me to use the JRPG aesthetic because I like remembered about Google Maps April Fool thing. And that kind of shaped the entire game idea. Do you do any real graphics programming for your games? Hmm. Not really. So by real graphics programming, you mean? I mean like low level stuff, like either shaders, oh, writing shaders? Or, uh, or even uh, like just like, I know a, a lot of people make engines for fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've ever done that, have you? I don't think I have. I mean, I've dabbled in writing shaders. Yeah, I know how to write a shader. Um, but the games that I worked on so far never required a serious shader. Um, if I had an idea that really depends on a shader working, um, I'm sure I wouldn't mind it. I'm sure it would be fun. Mm -hmm. I usually write shaders more, as more like tweaks to shaders. Like, hey, I want to use this built-in Unity shader, and I want it to have this feature of this other built-in Unity shader. <laughs> and so I'm going to like Frankenstein the two together until I get what I want. <laughs> yeah, your projects have... Um... I think just more custom graphics requirements uh, than the ones that I tend to do, which are often 2D. Um, yeah, which are often 2D. Actually, now that I think about it, 2D games doesn't necessarily mean you do shaders less. Um, yeah, I think my games just don't have very strong specialized requirements for shader. Okay. Jay, do you have a question? I saw you unmuted yourself. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I've been making. I'm getting. I'm getting better at putting together Unity shaders. Just loading Unity's libraries, calling their functions. I was going to post an example. Uh huh. Yeah, Unity shaders. I've seen. I've fun. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. I've I've seen. Uh, I know some people who do technical art and also just like VFX. They definitely write their shaders a lot. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, it's like their day to day. It's like go to work, write a shader. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too because after cool. after I started working on the graphics team at Microsoft, I start getting like all these LinkedIn requests on like, "Hey, do you want to like come and be a visual artist or graphics engineer?" Or like, do you know anyone who wants to come and do this? I'm like, but what I'm doing isn't like, I'm not actually writing shaders. Yeah, yeah. In a graphics team. Um, You're like working on a really low level graphics rendering pipeline. 
Yeah, um, it definitely cool. takes it definitely takes shaders as inputs um, sometimes, but it it was just funny because you see that their keyword has matched mine on my resume for graphics, <laughs> <laughs> but they are like completely misunderstanding which stage I am in. However, I think it would be um, you wouldn't it would be easier also to transfer into working in a graphics role from that experience. It's uh, very relevant. So what's your current job like? Hmm. Um, my current job, hmm. that's a very broad, <laughs> that's like a very broad and general question. Uh, so can you, can you give us a little uh, more understanding of like the problems that you work on on a day-to-day? -day? Okay. Um, so the main problems that I'm working on currently um, are adding... Without breaking NDA. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the project I'm working on is pretty low confidentiality. Um, basically, well, by pretty low, I mean like almost none. But it's basically to kind of improve the diagnos diagnosability of the default graphics driver in Windows, um, and also adding support for new graphics formats, or I should say image, not image format. Image encodings, I think is a better word. So like RGBA, AYUV, um, things like that. Um, so you're making, by diagnostics, you mean like making it easier to troubleshoot and if something goes wrong, detect what's wrong? Yeah. Yeah, uh, that exactly. Um, so diagnosability is one thing that I work on. And then there's adding new formats to that engine. Um, there is also adding support for some of the newer features as they come out of Direct 3D. So um, previously, I was on the Direct3D team. Warp was kind of under the Direct3D team. Um, and now it moved to a neighboring team that's more focused on uh, drivers specifically. But uh, during the entire time, we would um, do the same thing, which is to make sure that when Direct3D comes out, with new features, uh, we would provide some adequate support for that feature. Do you have an example of like a new feature that you supported? Um, that part might be NDA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. It hasn't been released yet. Um, I'm not actually. I'm not sure about the extent to which they have been released, and they're not, yeah, yeah. Okay. Hi, Ben. Hello. <laughs> so the, the team that you're working on, uh, I wanted to ask, how do you think you landed on that team? Like, uh, was there anything specific in your resume that you think helped? Um, 
So I think that the climate game that I mentioned a while back actually helped a lot. Um, and it's interesting because that project, um, if you look at my resume when I was applying to different companies, that project was the one, that resume item was the one that I spent the least time on, but it was the one that's most asked about. Um, people just get really interested when they hear about this game. And it gives me like really good opportunities to talk about. So you just, you just went to the climate change game jam and you're like, oh, it looks like a fun game. And then it turned into like this potentially important career thing for you. Yeah, uh, it's really, really interesting how that turned out because that really was my mentality going into the game jam. I was like, oh, this looks really, this looks like something that's different and potentially pretty challenging. Why don't I give it a try? And then like a few months to a year later, it becomes like the thing that allows me to talk about my um project design and teamwork and um, thought process and everything that kind of gave a, that gave my interviewers a favorable impression of me. Um, oh yeah, being able to tell the story of how you worked on the project and how you iterated on it, how you, like how your creative process moved. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. And it, it kind of made me think that um, in a sense, you could actually somewhat hack the application process by just working on a lot of different interesting projects. Um, at the same time, it's not really a hack, not really a hack because it actually makes you interesting if you work on a bunch of interesting projects. But um, one advice that I give to people who are like, uh, looking for positions in the industry is um, try out some weekend projects that are like completely different. And it's very possible that they could lead to something that's um, that you just couldn't imagine when you were working on that project. Excuse me. Yeah, and if, sorry. Oh, yeah. Or you, you just make a bunch of stuff that's really different, I guess. <laughs> One way or another, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think one idea that, so like there, there was a time when I was interested uh, in Niantic. I guess now I'm technically still interested, but um, for example- Pokemon Go guys. Yeah. For example, if you want to get, to get into Niantic, what better way to do it than like, to make a game that uses GPS data um, that lets you do multiplayer with someone else. That's something that's actually probably doable in a weekend. Um, but if you're able to do it, then that would definitely put you on the radar for anyone who's like looking to fill a row in the antic. Um, yeah, you can basically plan it that way. Like, I want to do this, so I'll work on those kinds of projects. Yeah. Um, People, people have a perception, I guess, that they have to work for um, a very large number of years in some area to produce something that can help them get into a job um, 
which is still true. You need like a decent, um, you need a decent foundation. Sorry, ah. <laughs> you need a decent foundation, but the projects that you can do that get that gets recruiters' attention, um, I don't think you need to spend years working on it. Um, I had one question earlier, which was, uh, so when you were a student, you decided to go to grad school after graduating from your undergrad degree. Mm -hmm. Why? Um, it seemed like a really, it seemed like an interesting opportunity. Um, so graduate school has been something that I'm curious about. And you just wanted to see what it was like. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to see what it was like. And I know that um, my personality is actually probably a decent fit for research roles. Um, so yeah, I just decided to I agree. try. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, plus, I mean, it doesn't necessarily cost me very much. Um, for graduate school, <clears throat> or at least on the PhD level, um, they will usually pay you stipend for the entire duration. Um, if they don't, you should apply somewhere else. <laughs> um, but they usually give you a stipend. <clears throat> so it's not like I'm paying to go to graduate school. And the stipend, the stipend is like uh, you work as a an instructor or a research assistant? Uh, is that is that how it technically works? Yeah, um, there there's a few different types. I got one that doesn't require me to work as a TA, um, but I still have to do research under my professor, so I'm technically employed. I later yeah, on, so you're you're like an RA basically, a research yeah. assistant. I later on also got a scholarship that kind of freed me from that as well even though I decided to continue working on the same project. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the only costs there are mainly opportunity costs, uh, which there are some uh, looking back, but it's still like, it's still a good way to learn about research and whether I would be interested in it or not. Do you have any advice for someone who might be considering whether or not they should go to grad school or work in the industry or like maybe they're not sure what they want? Any advice on how to work through that? Yeah, there's a lot of different reasons people will want to go to graduate school. Um, there's actually a lot of incorrect reasons um, that I've seen like, oh, my parents want me to go to graduate school or um, I think that without a graduate degree, companies won't look at me, like won't look at my resume. Um, so if you are, if that's your reason for going to graduate school, um, I would advise looking for reevaluating and see whether that really is the only choice. Um, if you're going to graduate school because you find yourself interested in X and Y academic projects, um, then I think you're on the right track. 
And um, the best way to proceed from there, I think, is actually to reach out to students slash professors in different schools. So since we're in the IGDA, like I assume that people will be considering doing graduate work uh, in a game-related research area. And that is actually quite specific. Um, there's, there's very few institutions in the US um, that has like a specific uh, research-oriented graduate game studies program. Um, I want to say maybe in the range of five to 10. So it's completely feasible to reach out to somebody, and I, I would advise it, reach out to someone who's in that program currently and get a sense of what the program is like. Because one other thing to realize is um, graduate programs are very high variance. Um, they can kind of be, they're very dependent on funding, for example. If there's a period of time when there's not very much funding, then they are not going to be looking for additional people to recruit. Um, and it's also possible that at the time, there's just nobody who's at that program who's working on something that you would be interested in, even though maybe somebody who was in that program before did work on something that you would be interested in. Um, the best way to understand the situation at specific graduate programs is, I think, really to reach out to those programs. Hmm. And funding often comes from like grants and other stuff. Yeah, actually, not, not necessarily from students. Yeah, intuition. Yeah, from grants. Yeah, funding. Yeah, it's pretty much always from grants. Uh, yeah. It actually strikes me that graduate schools um, are not that different from startups in that sense. A startup can be like in very high variance states. <laughs> like they could be- I never thought of it that way. I mean, they could be like almost collapsing or they just got a ton of funds or- they're... I know what that's like. <laughs> or they could be conflicts between the founders. Um, like they tend to be very, it's possible for startups to be in very extreme situations. So it makes sense to talk to people who are in it um, before like making that call to go to that startup. So what kind of research projects did a, the, the game science program do? Um, there's a few different ones. Um, the main, while I was at the UW game science program, uh, the main focus there th seems to be, I want to say three different areas. One is crowdsourcing, um, scientific crowdsourcing. Another is um, computer science education through games. Um, and one final one is um, problem generation for games. Uh, to be more specific, um, an example would be how do we generate like a mathematical story problem that um, 
we can have students solve. Um, the main area I worked on while I was in the program is, uh, was scientific crowdsourcing. So in that area, we design games that help solve some sort of difficult scientific problem. Um, usually, these problems would um, do not require a ton of training, as long as you frame the pro as long as you frame the problem the right way. However, they do tend to be time-consuming, or require a lot of effort to solve. Time-consuming on behalf of the user. Uh, yes, on behalf of the person who's trying to solve it. So um, you could have scientists solve it, or you could have players who can solve it after you give them like some quick minimal set of training. And it's kind of a win-win on both sides. The scientist gets um, basically gets more time to work on other problems, and they also get more data whereas the players can contribute to science, get educated about a scientific problem. And also, um, we often found as a motivation, um, get to interact with real scientists. Um, yeah, uh, that's, that's a pretty significant motivation. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because when I looked at the whole citizen science genre, um, I always thought, remember thinking about it in terms of, oh, we're just going to make a normal game and we're going to basically market it almost like a normal game. Like, mm -hmm. expect that players are coming in to satisfy the same cravings as a normal game. <laughs> but instead of instead of competing with that, uh, you can just like lean into the novel stuff, which is, yeah, this is like a real science project. And, and being involved with it in some way is cool enough on its own. Yeah, in my opinion, it's almost never a drawback to tell someone that this also helps science. Like, yeah. that's only strictly, that's only going to strictly increase your audience. Unless somebody really hates science. Uh, they science. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's definitely just a win to say that um, your project helps science. Um, a problem that these games often face, though, is uh, by themselves, oftentimes they're not super interesting. So they would oftentimes need that clutch of um, telling players that this helps science and um, giving them like time to interact with scientists to encourage yeah. the players to continue participating. Also, community is really important in these games. Yeah, community, especially uh, if you're working on a big problem together, mm -hmm. connecting with other people and making feel making you feel like you're making progress on the big problem together, uh -huh. as opposed to you <laughs> just doing a bunch of grunt work and not seeing anything from it. Yeah, um, while we were while we were working on that project, and they're still working on it now, we always had a dedicated community director or community manager role who um, makes sure that the players are in the know for what's going on and represent the interests of the players in meetings 
um, you help them stay engaged. That's like, um, I think the games that that graduate programs produce would not be nearly as successful without a dedicated role for that. A community manager. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Another thing that's really rewarding um, is to see like players who usually don't play games, but they get into this one because like they're interested in science where they just found it really interesting. Um, a lot of elderly people actually um, like to participate in citizen science games like that. Um, and they also can sometimes end up being the most active community members. That's really cool. So did working on those research projects feel like almost like an indie game? Mm. Did it feel like a little studio in there? Hmm. That's an interesting question. Um, I never really worked on a former indie, formal indie studio, but I did. I did like work on an IGF project that felt kind of like an indie game project. Um, if I were to compare between them, I think there's quite a bit of similarities in terms of how chaotic things can be and how fast you're trying to get things off the ground, get the game off the ground. Um, there's definitely a strong playtesting aspect to both. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say that they're actually, they're, they're fairly similar. However, I would put a few caveats. Uh, one caveat being uh, when you work on a research project, research game project, um, the type of project and type of game can really determine what your experience working on it is like. So some of the games that the UW program worked on had only one developer or two developer working on it, um, which I guess is true for indie game development sometimes. But um, the point is that you don't necessarily always have a team, have a large team or a decent sized team working on the project. Um, another aspect that's different about my project particularly, but probably also the individual research projects are the amount of time that you spend talking to um, other parties who have an interest in a game. Um, uh, well, other parties who have an interest that will shape the design of the game. Um, and or read about research papers that could shape the design of the game. When you go into an indie game, um, the, I get, the idea is that oftentimes you and your team are the sole people who make the design choices on this game. And to a certain degree, you also have a pretty big influence over the constraints 
Um, whereas in a research game, especially a citizen science game, you want to involve like actual scientists, experts at all stages of the design. And it's entirely possible that they could say something um, just offhand that completely changes the design implications of the game itself. Um, I see. So like in an indie project, you feel like you the scope is a little smaller and that you just have to make something entertaining. And so you have the freedom to kind of just make lots of decisions <laughs> yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, the, but in a research project, you have a lot more constraints. Like you, you're actually trying to solve a scientific problem, especially if it's a citizen science game or even any other research <laughs> project. You're just like, yeah, you would have to <laughs> ramp up on the research. Yeah, there's no room for yeah. budging on like a scientific <laughs> constraint. Because if yeah, you do that, you and it's not just—it's not a research game. Man, this science project problem was so hard. We just iterated away from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so it's different in that regard. <laughs> cool. So you also did undergrad research, right? Um, I did undergrad research, not not a ton actually. So I did work on. A... I don't think anyone does a ton, but yeah. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Imposter syndrome. Uh, what kind of uh, research projects did you get involved with, and how? Hmm. Uh, so I remember two. There were two research projects, and um, there was one that was interesting. It was like an independent study. Um, so your undergrad, I actually also worked on a scientific or a citizen science game. It's a game that involves um, tracking ant behavior. Um, angry ants? <laughs> angry ants, yes. Um, That's what it was called. Yeah. And Livio, you also work on this game. That's why you know, just for like future prosperity. Yes. Um, so that's a game where you help biologists, um, or, the, or are they sociobiologists? You help them track behavior of ants by ant scientists. Ant scientists. Scientists who are ants. All of them. You help scientists by like watching this video of ant interaction and um, placing down labels of um, the path that ants take in the duration of the video. Um, and this is supposed to like help scientists figure out like what the communication and teamwork that these ants do are like. Yeah, so it was like dozens of hours of recordings of an entire ant colony. Yeah, and there are multiple reams of footage at various zoom levels. Yeah, and each ant had different color codes on it to help yeah. you identify them. Uh, that was pretty early in my undergrad why I didn't really have any exposure to research. So the main thing that I helped doing was I think it just a flash interface um, to help people play the game. Um, mm -hmm. That project um, unfortunately didn't end up going too far, I think because people found a better methodology. And I guess this is also yeah. this is also one thing I remember. This is also one thing with scientific games that 
um, there, there is definitely a threat of sudden scientific advancement in some direction, making your game irrelevant. Um, Basically making the research project irrelevant. Yeah, making the research project irrelevant. Uh, pretty big risk. Um, so you definitely want to double check and triple check to be sure that it's a difficult, difficult problem. And also that's why it's important for researchers to stay up to date on the latest research and get a sense of who's working on what basically. Yeah. Um, the other research project I worked on is unrelated to video games. Um, it's about looking at computer science research projects that are published in top conferences and analyzing how easy it would be, how difficult it is to replicate their findings independently. Um, and the answer, the answer according to that project, you know, according to a lot of my attempts at building other people's research project is that it's pretty bad. Um, it's difficult to replicate scientific findings in computer science at least um, as of four or five years ago. Uh, that was an interesting project to work on because it was a lot more, uh, it was a lot more rigorous in its process. And I got to see more so of the by difficult, pipeline. By difficult, you mean uh, they did not make their steps clear enough for you to follow a, a series of steps that to reproduce their project accurately and or they get, they arrived at certain results that when you reproduced them and you felt like you confidently re reproduced them, you, you arrived at different conclusions. Uh, neither. They don't. They either don't give source code, or they give source code that does not build. Oh man! <laughs> or um, okay. like um, I think another category we actually had is um, we will actually email scientists. Um, of the paper to try to get source code from them. Um, and whether or not they could give us source code after we email them is also an is also an evaluation criteria for that research paper. So it was really fun because I got to write a script that spams all these uh, authors <laughs> with email messages that are designed to sound personal. That are designed to like look not suspicious at all. Um, to not look like a research project. Yeah, to not to not look like an automated research project email. Um, um, how did you send those emails? Because sending emails is like you have to jump over through a lot of hoops on technically. Uh, like there's so many spam filters and ISP level spam filters. What service do you use? Uh, I don't remember what we used. Uh, it might, it might even have been the Gmail API, um, mm. but there, well, there was also some Linux scripts that came in helpful when writing the emails. Basically, like it's not too bad to avoid the filters when you. Well, maybe I shouldn't be giving this advice, but I mean, you could, <laughs> you could make a Gmail account and just send your, just kind of space out your emails so that you're not sending 50 emails at once. Uh -huh. um, I mean, most spammers 
are actually sending like up to thousands of emails. If you're sending like, you know, 50 automated emails yeah. in a day. We, uh, for the IGDA student SIG, we send some automated emails when people submit forms and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, when a new, when someone creates, wants to create a new academic chapter with the IGDA, we automatically email their faculty advisor, asking them to basically vouch for the group that listed them as a faculty advisor. Uh -huh. um, that like my first draft to send that email was using PHP's email functions. Like we, I, I wrote huh. everything in PHP, and like those are like automatically blocked. Like everyone <laughs> online says, don't even use PHP email functions. Like everyone has like will detect what you're doing and it will block you. Don't, and so now I just use Zapier. <laughs> don't you love uh, PHP? It's like <laughs> it's like PHP is internet history and a language combined into one. Yeah. Um, you just get a sense of like the things that have happened in the PHP <laughs> world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's really funny. Um, uh, so we're almost out of time. We're mm -hmm. basically out of time. Uh, but the, I have one last question, which is, how did you get involved in undergrad research? Because most undergrads don't even get exposed to that stuff. Um, really, I I can think of two ways. Um, one is through um, the professors themselves asking for help, which was the case for the second research project I mentioned. Um, in order to get those emails, you will want to talk to an advisor, like talk to your like undergraduate advisor um, on what email lists you should be on for these opportunities. This is a good thing to do in general because whatever email list that is, is probably also going to have other job opportunities. So you definitely want to be on that email list. Um, another approach is to just talk to professors. Um, usually, like, professors don't really mind at all students coming up and asking if there's any project they could help on. To them, it's like basically free candy because um, they basically get free help. Um, even if the professor doesn't have a project immediately that they will want somebody to, they need some help on, uh, most likely they will know of other professors who might need something, who might need help. Um, so what, once you start asking professors, then it becomes pretty easy to find a project. And I, I do believe that, um, I do believe that most universities probably have something that somebody can help on. That's a serious research project. So I kind of want to weigh in too. So I found out about undergrad research uh, when uh, what I, so I was studying at the University of Arizona as well. I was in the same computer science department, uh, but I was also enrolled in the honors program. Like mm -hmm. the university has this honors college, uh, and honors students, uh, in order to graduate with honors, you have to work on an undergrad research project and submit that as your honors thesis. Mm -hmm. And so the computer science department had this track where they just take all of their honors students and uh, I think in like their sophomore year, they get you to enroll in a one unit curriculum uh curriculum cl uh, colloquium oh, colloquium. colloquium 
where you just like come in like once a week and hear talks about the various research projects going on around in the department. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the purpose of the whole semester is to basically expose you to literally every research project that is happening in the department. (laughs) So you can start during your junior year thinking about uh, enrolling in an independent study where you basically get like three units to work on one of those projects. Uh, Yeah. And then through that work, it turns into your honors thesis and you submit it. And, And so that's how I got enrolled in it. It was a very formal track uh but even if you were not in that track uh, zooming were you in that track um i was in honors but the colloquial i took was different it wasn't covering projects oh. in the school okay might have changed they might have made it better <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah because it was a little spread out too much like yeah, I hear about one project. If your school very early in this semester. Yeah. If your school has something like that, then that's definitely great. If not, yeah, I think most schools might not. Then asking professors, I think, is by far the best way to do. Yeah, and my parents were definitely pushing me to get a master's degree, and <laughs> doing doing the undergrad thing helped me be more clear on what I wanted. Uh, sure. Like I worked on the. I worked on. I was very excited to work on research projects, mainly because I really wanted to work on games. And our school did not have a games program, mm-hmm. and I saw this as, oh, I can literally carve out a time in my class schedule to work on games. <laughs> but then you could uh, just work on games. So it's like, what do you need a master? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I did. I I did kind of like the the research projects, mm-hmm. but I wasn't. I found that I wasn't that into research itself. Um, mm-hmm. And I also got really hungry for i guess i wanted to get better at the craft of making games more than i wanted to work on research and i felt like research projects and academic projects you have you end up working with a lot of people who are kind of still at the beginning stages of their game dev career arc Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you, you it just feels like you're working with a lot of beginners and me as a beginner was also detecting that I was working with a lot of beginners. Mm. And I'm like, I want to work in industry so that I can work with people who are smarter than me and I can learn from them. Well, um, to be fair, the people who are working with you on research projects are potentially smarter than you. No, just they're, they're very smart, but just not necessarily diff- more experienced yes. in games. <laughs> yes. What I, what I was really hungry for was the craftsmanship and that's what I was focused on Yeah. in terms of, so I really wanted to find someone who was a better craftsman than me <laughs> yeah yeah you're definitely very big into that um, um but the the research i have so much respect for uh yeah uh, yeah research, thanks ian yeah research is yeah research can be a very productive and fruitful avenue if that's what you want to do and um this is one thing that i want to mention that if you are considering doing doing research in graduate school, it really is in your best interest to try it out in undergrad. First of all, because it makes it a lot easier to apply to graduate school. And second of all, it does, like in Lavelle's case, help you realize whether you like to work on research or not. Yeah, and the re, uh, in, from the perspective of research, like there is that 
uh, expectation that you do need to stay up to date on the research as well. Yeah. So if like reading research papers is something that you cannot tolerate, uh, uh, then that can that can tell you a lot about whether or not you actually want to go to grad school. Yeah. Um, I also think that a, like when as part of the honors track thing, uh, we had a segment with a professor called McCann, and early on he had us read a research paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like he would, I think, give us a research paper like maybe every other week or something. And the first one that he gave us was kind of weird. It was about fuzzy logic, and oh, yeah. it was kind of hard oh, to understand. I love fuzzy logic. It's <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> hey. It was kind of hard to understand, and so he asked us to like, "What are your thoughts on the paper?" And most people were like, "I don't know. It's kind of good, I guess." And he's like, "This paper is terrible. <laughs> you should have all said. You should have all admitted that this paper was terrible." <laughs> And it, it was a great exercise to kind of get us to start thinking about research papers uh, in a way that, like, isn't so, doesn't hold them up to such a high bar. And, like, I mean, to such a high esteem, I guess. Like, okay. most people read a paper, they don't understand it, and they assume that, oh, I'm just not smart enough to understand a research paper. But a lot of times, it's just a bad paper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a really cool exercise. Huh. That's awesome. Yeah, and so if anyone does, if anyone hates research because of like that, that's something to keep in mind too. Like, don't let that be the reason that turns you off from doing research mm-hmm. and going into academia. Cool. Cool. So we're out of time. Mm-hmm. Thanks. These are really good questions. And any last, any last words? <laughs> <laughs> um. So. Yeah, if if you have questions about um, any of the aspects that I've touched on, um, I'm sure Livio will provide the, my email to you guys. Feel free to reach out to me. Um, I pretty much respond to anything in my inbox that comes from a real person um, who is not spamming. So, yeah. Feel free to email me. I'll questions. send you an email through PHP. <laughs> yes, send me an email through PHP. <laughs> um, or I guess you could just talk to me on Discord. I'm on this channel, just lurking. Cool. Have a good Saturday. Enjoy the rest of Luton there. Yep. Uh, see you around, man. Yep. Yeah. See ya.